tonight we're in QA mode, and um, I'm looking. Amy, could you help me um, with the? Can you bring the 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 board in from over here, please? Um, I was supposed to. I should have got that earlier. <clears throat> so I had a question come in uh, today. <clears throat> so I was going to ask y'all. Let me ask you this: Anybody got a burning Bible question right now that you just? Because you've been reading your Bible every day and praying, and something came across your plate, and you're just like, How, what is the Bible? Mary, man, it's so good to see you. I miss you Sunday. So I was. Sunday was crazy busy, and uh, it was unusually busy for, for me. But Amy said she talked to you, so it was glad. I, was, I tried to call you. I don't know if you – did you get my message? Okay. All right. Well, it was me. It was 3803033. It's from the church. So it's so good to see you. So and not in Facebook only, you know. So yeah. So uh, well, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're. It's it's good to have you in the flesh. So, um, so we'll visit afterward. So did anyone give you a guest? Did you get welcome tonight? Did anyone give you a guest bag? Yeah, I sent you. You should get something in the mail. Yeah, that was that should be from me. Um, I tell you what, Jeff does such a good job that I hate to destroy anything on here. I'm gonna. This is the least, so I'll put this up here. Yeah, well, good. It's good to. I'm glad that you're you're here, and I hope you feel welcome and wanted. Can you guys see? Can you, uh, Justin? Can you see this? All right. Can you all, Bob? Can you see this? Okay, so we're good. All right, I'm gonna. I'm going to wait till I need to work on this in case I don't have to use it. I don't want to erase Jeff's work. He always he is a wonderful artist. I mean, he can just like illustrate anything. It's amazing. Huh? I know. And I probably will erase it, but I'm going to wait until the last possible second. So, okay. Um, so no questions tonight? Man, I'm glad someone else had a question or we'd be in trouble. I'd just be standing here. We'd pray and you guys could all go out to eat. So, um all right, so I want to just address, and maybe you guys can help me with this question. So there's a question that came in uh, today, and I, was, I, didn't have, I didn't have a chance to actually respond to it. So I'm going to respond to it tonight, and we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to probably lay it out over here too. And uh, then we're going to uh, – I'll have it in recording so I can send it to this brother, and he'll have his answer. So, um, And another thing, I, I do want to kind of uh, follow up with last week. So, Joel, so did I, I address most of your question, but not all of it? Oh, with the sheet. I'll do you better than that. I'll give you my notes without any of the play on the layout, and you can just have everything. All right, so, all right. And then if you got more questions, we can go from there. All right, so the question tonight is on the table that, that I received is, um, what about, you know, okay, when it comes to the gospel, right, what about people in far-flung regions of the world that have not yet heard the gospel. Maybe they don't even have anybody preaching it. And there are many places like that still. Um, that They've never heard the name of Jesus, and and they never, maybe American Indians, you know, from the, say, before Columbus set sail, right? So what happened to all those people? And are they just lost and damned for all of eternity? And what about all that? Which, that's a really good question. Anybody ever thought about that or asked that question? Yeah. So, 
I'm glad because I'm waiting for you guys to tell me the answer. So I, I, uh, I'm glad. So, so what do we do with that? This is actually a very good question. It's a very good question that, that we need to ponder. So um, any thoughts? Any Bible references? Yeah, Bob. Oh, sorry. Hang on. Rewind that tape. Sorry. Chapter 1 uh, says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Yep, it does say that. And... Uh, in verse 20. So they have no excuse is what you're saying, even though they don't have a Bible or a preacher. So if they're not going to be judged by the Bible and the preacher, what are they judged by? The creation and their conscience, right? So uh, their creation and the conscience. Now that that answers the question, but then the, then here's another question, Bob. Let me ask you, since we're talking about this, um, are they saved? Safe, safe, but not saved. Okay. Um, in the Bible, it doesn't really say safe. So this is a, and, and so you're right. I mean, I know I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here, just to kind of. Get our, our thoughts going because this is a really because this is the this is the bottom. Let me cut to the chase. What when you someone asks this question, really, what we're drilling down on. And by the way, the verse he just what we just looked at, which by turning your Bibles to Romans one, I was actually going to end or not end there, but I was going to develop that. But that's a really good. We'll jump off there, and then I want to end again in Romans um, as well, but not chapter one. So um, Romans chapter 1, and I want to reconcile a few thoughts. But as you're turning there and, and we're thinking about this, when someone asks this question, a lot of times what they're really pondering is the character of God, right? The character of God and the justice um, and judgment of God. And I don't want to jump to the fact that uh, necessarily that they assume or presume that God is not just. Uh, or that he is somehow unjust in how he would deal with people. Uh, is, and so when you think about this in, in, in regards to the judgment of Adam's fallen race, it does help you to just kind of step back a little bit and think about God's character. Technically speaking, he could cast every one of us in hell, justly, period. He doesn't owe any of us any anything. The fact that we live and breathe, and this is really similar to what Paul says on Mars Hill. And so you see this working out with a group of people. When Paul, even though they are more educated, they're still ignorant in the true sense of the word. They don't. They have not received and haven't heard yet the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which that, that's going to segue me into kind of answering that last question. I was asking Bob about, well, are they saved? And he says, well, they're safe. And, and what he's saying is, is God is, I know what he's saying. It's like a child that's 
uh, dies before the age of accountability. So then you just have to answer the question, where does a child that dies before the age of accountability resurrect? And that's another question for another Bible study. But anyway, um, and we may not all agree on that, but that's okay. God, We know God's character. He'll keep them safe, and he will save them in that sense. Uh, but not they're not born again. Only those that inherit the kingdom of God are born again. Yes, ma'am. So the original question is, what, what happened to people and happens to people even today that would be living in places where they've not heard the gospel uh, and they uh, never had anyone come preach the gospel? Say, in the, huh? Yeah, yeah. And so, so that leads you to believe the question and, you know, the, the kind of the underlying thing is, well, would God judge them and cast them in hell? Now, Bob has already addressed one of the key issues that the Bible teaches about their conscience in Romans chapter 1. So let's look at that, just refresh ourselves. It says in chapter 1, um, well, let's back up to, to verse 15. Uh, he says in verse 15 of Romans 1, So as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So it's completely comprehensive to the Jew and the Greek, meaning the Jew and the Gentile. Verse 17, the gospel being that Jesus lived, died, rose again the third day, resurrected after the uh, at the resurrection, returned and is ascended, and will return again at the second coming. So the whole gospel. All right, so he's going to come and judge the world. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. Um, and we could even say to anyone that believeth, but everyone that believeth. And then he says in verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Notice this, from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Okay, so he talks about something being revealed from faith uh, to faith. And so uh, we'll talk about, I'm going to end on that. I'm going to end toward the end. I want to circle back around. So if you're making notes here, just kind of mark it down. Verse 17, faith to faith. And I'll come back or I'll circle back around. Because really the Romans is a dissertation on the gospel in of, in of itself and, and God's character and God's plan for Israel. I mean, it's, it's, he's got it all. Um, and so he says, for the, and this gets us to the, the issue, uh, for the wrath of God uh, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, so this is really the question. Who, how... Is God's wrath going to be distributed? Well, it's going to be distributed upon those who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Aha! So then, the guy in the the, the the you know the Indian, the Native American that never heard the gospel in 1000 A.D. He's off the hook. Is he off the hook? Yes, Aaron. Huh? Okay, hang on. Let me let me finish this thought before we jump back. He's he's not off the hook because of what Bob read. He's judged by the truth that's revealed in his conscience is what he will be judged by. So before we just assume something, we got to keep keep looking at the text. We'll back be back there in a second, Aaron. 
He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and <clears throat> or ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Now, who only God knows, and they know what that is as far as what God has revealed to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. Now, before we go too far deep into the, you know, the ancient past or the, the recesses of the Amazon, the people who haven't heard the gospel, just think about this just now. With lost people that you and I can see in front of our faces today who will not receive the gospel or have not been told the, or have, you know, avoided the gospel, however we want to put it, and yet are in positions in, in, a, in a literate society and have education and degrees who look at the stars or look at microbiology and or give birth, or birthing humans, dealing with conception, and still deny that there's a God, right? When the truth has been manifest all around them, I mean, anybody with a brain in their head, you can't look at the, you can't look into the universe, you can't look into microbiology, you can't look at human reproductive biology or even animal biology or you know, how does that bee fly when his body's like 10 times heavier than his, his, you know, his wings should not be able to carry him, and yet he just lifts off and flies around? You know, scientifically, that shouldn't work. You know, why does that work? Uh, there's a God, <laughs> you know. And, of course, now they call it intelligent design. So when you won't acknowledge God, who are you going to say did it? Well, it's the aliens, you know. Uh, the aliens, but it's not God because they will not receive. Okay, that's why the wrath of God will be poured out upon them. As God reveals the truth, uh, it's not much different. It's just different, right? It, but it's not the humans are humans, and they reject truth, and or they receive truth, and it's actually manifest. And I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit further. But let me put a pause on that, and let me go to Aaron. So, Aaron, what was your question? Verse twenty. Oh, oh, for the invisible things. Yeah, that's where we were going. Did I just touch on all that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. So that's where we started. Bob read that verse, quoted that verse from memory, as a matter of fact. Good job, Bob. It's hidden your heart. Um, and so that's the go-to verse, and that is the right go-to verse. That's the same verse, the first verse in my mind. Yes, ma'am. No. No, I'm going to actually take this a little bit deeper because this is a bigger question. It's hard to get our heads around it because we see Jesus through our own lens. And... Um, it was we should we see I shouldn't say that we see we we understand our relationship with Jesus Christ or with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son so we understand the gospel that's how we get saved so you kind of have to step back I want to give you kind of a bigger a, a different perspective on this because of the underlying thought oftentimes behind the question when someone asks you this question it really you got to start with God is just and He's a justifier. And he justified us through his shed blood. So just as simple as what the Bible says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So right now in HBI, I'm going through dispensations, and there's seven clear dispensations, seven ways that God clearly dispenses his grace through time. And and men um, uh, are always saved by grace through faith, but differently throughout time, right? So there's no one in the Old Testament that was able to keep the law, and yet there's Old Testament saints. But until Jesus came, there wasn't a way. Jesus is the one that made the way. 
Uh, and so, um, and so Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of the law. Uh, and so that's why we live in the age of grace, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone. All right. So in the Old Testament, does that mean they weren't saved? Of course not. They were saved, but they were in hold, right, in, this, in Abraham's bosom until Jesus Christ came. They didn't have access to the third heaven until the mediator came. And there's only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. So when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he means I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Uh, in any dispensation, by the way, uh, in any time in history, past, present, or future. Okay, so uh, that is not to say, though, that God deals with men the same way in every dispensation because his revelation is progressive as you go. So without getting into dispensations, there was a time when Adam was dealing with God face-to-face. Before the fall, after the fall, he lives 930 years. Uh, uh, Noah's only a generation or two away from from Adam. Like, it's Grandpa Adam, you know. I mean, obviously, he's seven generations, but but yet he's literally like, like he was born within a time span. He knew people who knew Adam, is what I'm saying. Like, you know people who knew your grandpa. You may not have met your grandpa, but all your aunts and uncles and your mom and dad talk about grandpa. And that's that's Noah to Adam. Boom, 2,000 years covered right there. And then you go past the flood, and God is still dealing directly with with Noah, right? And he institutes human government. He doesn't do away with conscience. We're talking about it in Romans chapter 1 still. Conscience is still judging men. But then he adds another layer called human government. And now men have the ability to take life one another. You didn't see like when, when Cain slew Abel that all of a sudden, okay, we're going to have a courthouse jury here and we're going to say, okay, you're guilty, Cain. You're going to the gallows. Nope. It looks like he got away with it other than just being banished. And then later on, Lamech, uh, he says, I think I killed a man. And, uh, well, he did think he killed a man. I don't know if he did or didn't, but he says, I killed a man. And if it was that bad for Cain, what's it going to be for me? And he's all worried about it. Because, you know, capital punishment or capital uh, crime was a big deal in the heart and the conscience. But there wasn't a law written because God himself was communing with these guys. They knew what was wrong and what was right. And they will be and they were judged by it to the point that God flooded the whole earth, <laughs> killed everybody but Noah and his family. And judgment came. And so, and so we start all over again. And so, uh, you know, that's about four thousand years ago. And so four thousand years ago, we'll roll by or well, before we go to that, if Noah uh, you have human government instituted, but the nations don't get divided until Genesis 11. Everybody was one, and when all men come together, it was problematic because they wanted to, to exalt themselves like Satan and be like God. But under Nimrod, God says, come on, guys, I just flooded the earth. You know, So he's, he just confounds the languages, and you don't see them come back together again until Pentecost, which we talked about last week. right? And then you see God call out this man Abraham. And he sets a nation out by promise, by faith. It, it's Abraham doesn't even have a seed, but he says, oh, yeah, you're going to be a mighty nation, and all the Gentiles of the world are going to know me through you. Really? It'd help if I had a son, you know? <laughs> Let's start there. You know, and, of course, him and Hagar try to work it out, uh, and, and Sarah and Hagar and him get together and make a deal and come up with Ishmael, and God's like, that's not the deal. That's not what I said. You're going to have a son. Sarah's like, you're crazy, God. I mean, really, I, I can't even bear a child at this point. And he's like, just hang on, you will. And, of course, that's what happened. Miraculously, they had a son, Isaac, 
and that becomes the, the, the promised seed in time in history, but was just a picture of the promised seed that would come miraculously later, which we all know is the Lord Jesus Christ. But from that comes a, a, a people, a place, and a nation. And that nation's job, once it gets to Sinai, is to get now all that information about God's morality and his law and that deals with our conscience is trusted to a nation, and it's given to a people, and it's actually written down. We haven't gotten to that on Sunday morning yet, but they are going to, they got the law in Sinai. So now they can actually run their government according to the word of God for the purpose of exalting God and getting the God that to the world, which was actually happening under Solomon. It didn't take that long, really, once they finally got their, their act together under David and Solomon. They were actually impacting the world with the gospel, the Old Testament gospel, that is. Which is, if you want to know who the God of the universe is, come come on in here to Jerusalem. Check it out. And this tabernacle, this temple, this, now this temple, it's a picture. It's a picture of God's holy of holies in heaven. And this is how we enter in. And they had no concept that everything that they were doing, uh, from the entering of the court to the entering into the um, to the uh, the temple, into the holy of holies, to sacrifice once a year, and all of those things, the showbread and the candles, they had no concept. What all that, that all that was a picture of Jesus Christ atoning for our sin and, and the resurrection and going to heaven and, and coming back 45 minutes later and all the things that Jesus did at his resurrection. They had no clue, but they were working with the revelation that God had given them and it was written now and, and they could, and they, they were stewards. They are still as a nation stewards of that. Of course, now we have the mysteries that we're stewards of, which is the New Testament and God has given that to us. And so, uh, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he does something even more incredible, which he's, he makes a way. Uh, everyone, anywhere that puts their faith in Jesus Christ is saved without the works of the law because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the requirements of the law. He is the righteousness of God, and we are not righteous in, in his sight. He is our righteousness. That's why we must trust him uh, because our righteousness is as, as it says in the Old Testament, filthy rags. They are to be discarded. And and that leads us to, you know, really from this point forward, he's just working out promises that he already has made in time and dealing with the hardness of men so that he can fulfill his ultimate will. And then the millennial reign will commence after the second coming when we will uh, rule and reign with him. And Israel, of course, is the one who inherits that Sabbath because Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. Israel's inheritance is the millennial reign. Our inheritance is Jesus. We get a better inheritance. It's incredible. All right, so that's a lot of theology right there. We just bounced through the whole Bible. If you didn't know that, we went from Genesis to Revelation. So there you go. All right, but my point in that is that through each time frame, God has made a way to escape. In every what we would call dispensation, he has made a way for men uh, to be reconciled. Okay, now having said that, turn to Acts 4 and verse 12 because... Um, when getting back to the thrust of what a lot of people are wondering about, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, when they're asking this question, these are thoughts. I think I've had these thoughts as, as well. I'm, as you're turning there, I'm looking at for another verse. Um, and I'm not finding it. Man, I'm brain dead. All right, so in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, uh, as, there, as uh, 
they're, they're preaching here. He says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when this was being preached, uh, this was like, this is, I mean, this is powerful preaching. When you look at it in its historical context, you talk about bold, very, very bold preaching. If you go back to verse 5, you'll see the context. It says, and it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers, the elders and the scribes, and Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, as many as were the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. I mean, this is the audience. If we this day be examined of of the good deed done to the impotent man, the man that was lame, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even... Uh, by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you uh, uh, builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, not just Jews, among men whereby we must be saved. No other name under heaven. So if we're going to be saved, it is going to be saved by you're going through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door of the sheepfold, right? He is the, he is the way. All right, so now look at Philippians, another familiar passage. This is probably familiar to most of us, that when Paul said that, he's, he's, or I mean Peter spoke that, and he's talking to religious people. He's talking to people who had the law of Moses. He's talking to people who really felt justified. They felt righteous because of what they observed. They knew that they were a chosen people. But yet being a chosen people is not good enough. Right? What's that? Oh, it's Philippians chapter 2. We're going to 2 and we're going to look at that that passage for a minute. I got kind of a chain of references here I want to look at. Um, so, you know, you have religious people today that feel justified. People that would even say, I worship God. They could even be Baptist, by the way. Well, I grew up in church. I've always been a Christian. Really? When have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? When have you put your faith in his finished work? Well, you know, my mom's always taken us to church. That is not the question I've asked. Or I was raised this way. I mean, I've genuflexed a million times. I have given so much money. Yeah, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? No. Here's only one name. So these Jews are like, hey, we've got the law. We've got the prophets. And we, and by the way, Peter acknowledges it, that they are the authority. And he also lays it out straight. You have crucified Jesus. Now, let me just get off of my historical platform and get on an inspirational one for just a moment. We can all, that's actually the way it, all, it is for all of us. Jesus, he willingly gave his life, but we're all guilty of the reason he had to go to the cross because he was dying for sinners of who I am chief, right? So our, his blood in that sense is on our hands until we confess and, and call upon his name to be saved. That's actually how I got saved is I never really conflated his death on the cross and implicated it to my life. Like, oh, once that hit me, I was like, oh, 
I need to get saved because look what I did to the Savior. It took me, you know, 17 years before that actually set in on me. I did believe that Jesus died on the cross historically. I didn't know that he was God. Once I realized he was God and I believed that he got up from the, the grave and that he was actually alive and that I would have to face him again, that's when it hit me. Uh-oh. I'm guilty. I'm in the crosshairs of his wrath. My conscience was quickened. Now, fortunately for me, it was through the word of God. But it, God was able to do that work. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2, which is a, this is the passage we always talk, I go to for our vision for our church, which is further down here in verse 15. But, um, you know, I won't get into everything in here. This is a great chapter. You can just preach away on it. But down here in verse uh, 10, this is a passage that, that we often quote, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth. Now, this passage is taken uh, from the Old Testament. And so in Romans chapter 14, you see a companion passage. So keep your finger there. Uh, and I, don't, I wasn't going to talk about this, but just while we're looking at it, in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul he quotes the same passage, but it's just a little, it's nuanced just a little differently. Romans chapter 14 and uh, verse 11. He says, For it is written, and this is quoting from Isaiah 45, uh, 23. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us therefore uh, judge uh, one another. <clears throat> Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And so now here he's dealing with um, uh, the church. But the, he says something here that's interesting because um, he's dealing with judging a brother. But he says everyone's going to bow. Now, from, a, again, a devotional perspective, I, I like to preach this passage because of the nuance in Roman, or in Philippians 2.10. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the things in heaven, the things in the earth, and the things under the earth. Should and shall are two different things. You know, you should bow. Just like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A lot of the critical text Bibles will say shall not perish. It doesn't say shall not. It says should not. As a matter of fact, you couldn't, get, you couldn't, you couldn't call on the name of the Lord to get saved in, in John chapter 3 anyway. You had to wait till the death of the testator. You had to wait till Jesus died and rose again before you could call upon the name to be saved. You could follow him. But when you get to Romans 10, it doesn't say you should be saved. It says you shall be saved because the finished work had occurred. Right, So whosoever believeth on him, historically, you shouldn't perish, but you will. You will if you don't, if you don't continue on with him because that's the dispensation they were in. And, of course, many didn't. Many got saved, and praise the Lord for that. And that's how we get saved It's believing upon his name. So you see Philippians 2.10. You see, uh, you see uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse 11. I'm going somewhere with this because God is holding men accountable to bow their knee and confess. Now, a Muslim today who doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ someday will bow his knee and he will confess. Where's that going to be? 
That's right. The great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, right? Before he gets cast in the lake of fire, he'll bow his knee and confess with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, and so every knee will bow. It's just a matter, really, of when is that going to happen? When is that going to occur? Now, I hope everyone in here, I hope we bowed our knee and confessed with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we've been sincere and trusted Jesus Christ. That's why we're the church. The church is composed of people who have been born again. That is what the church is, the assembly. The ecclesia is, are those we gather because Jesus Christ is in us. That's the mystery, that Christ is in us. So when we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, he literally indwells us, literally. Like not us just as a group, but I mean us individually. And that's what draws us together is we all have the same spirit. That's why we call each other brother and sister and all that because we're in one family, a new family. We're, we're in his family, whereas before we weren't. So, so when th- this is important because <clears throat> there's a real urgency to getting the message where it needs to go. I say all that just to say this. Like... The thought that, that this is all on God and if people don't hear it, God is somehow unjust because he would dare cast some poor person in the, in the, into hell. I think, I think uh, and this was, this was raging back when William Carey went to, went to India. You know, If God wants to reach the heathen, what will he do? Well, using some of these same verses in Romans, well, God will do it in his sovereignty. He'll, their conscience will be quickened and they'll, and they'll know about God. But how, wait a minute, what did Paul say? How are they going to hear without a preacher? Yeah, let's go back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, since we're over in Romans 14, just back up a few chapters. Now, if it was difficult for people who already had the promises of God to receive the Messiah, You know, why was it easier for people who didn't know the Messiah to receive the gospel? Well, because their heart was ready. It's really a condition of the heart. It wasn't impossible for anybody. It's just an issue of the heart. I'm going to get to that here in just a moment, so just hang tight on that. So in Romans 10 here, the the passage that that we talk about now, that we go to to really settle the the gospel, the salvation, as far as practically it's it's a template for receiving Christ, we often forget about what the context is in verse 1 of Romans 10. Paul is saying, brethren, and by the way, when he says brethren here, who's he talking to? Yeah, church people. But yet, if you go follow the line of reasoning, he's going to say it here in just a minute. He's also talking about his brethren, right? Like his, his, his Hebrew brothers. But when he says brethren, he's talking to Jew, Greek, whoever, everybody in Christ, brethren, he's, I'm talking to you. And then he's talking about his brethren, Israel. And he's, just read it here. He says, brethren, that's the Christians, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I want them saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Hmm. Now, just, just pause there in verse 2. What are they missing? Since they have all at that time in, in Romans chapter, other than what Paul was writing literally to the churches and preaching and, and Peter and the apostles, what is it that the Jews were lacking? Jesus, right? The only thing the Jews were lacking was Jesus because there's no under, other name, as Peter said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. There's no other name. The only thing you're lacking, Jews, is your Messiah that you just killed. That's the only thing you're lacking is his righteousness because yours is good, but it's not enough. 
It's filthy rags, as a matter of fact, compared to his righteousness because he is better than our righteousness. And that's where pride comes in. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. (laughs) That's the message. Whether you're a lost Gentile in the jungle, whether you're a scientist looking through telescopes or a microscope, or you're just some some idiot stick kid in a vocational school, somewhere you've got to come to that conclusion that God's righteousness is far superior than yours. And then Romans 3.23 clicks. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Don't tell me this stuff about, oh, God's throwing people into hell and he don't care. What are you talking about? He came to this earth and died on the cross to show how much he cares for us. You don't understand the righteousness of God and you don't understand the love of God and you don't understand the patience and long-suffering of God. Don't talk about my God like that. I'm going to get angry. All right. So I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So Paul goes on. For, and, and by the way, they had all the knowledge you could want. They had all the people with all the knowledge. Paul being one of them at one point. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Hmm. Well, what is the righteousness of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring... Uh, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now this is the passage we always quote. He's saying, look, you don't have to physically find jesus christ in heaven or in the deep all he is just a a breath away he will inspire he will quicken he will bring ephesians chapter 2 he will quicken you he will bring you to life if you exchange breath with him he's a breath away that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the lord jesus and shalt believe in thine heart not just generically that Jesus was God, but that God hath raised him from the dead. He is alive. Thou shalt be saved. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Right? We love that song. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever, whosoever, are you a whosoever? Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon his name. For whosoever, there's another whosoever, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. But then, verse 14, notice this. Okay, well, let me pause there. So, hey, we just need to just pray and just and ask God to quicken people's understanding so they can receive the gospel, right? Well, we should do that, yes. But verse 14 is where I want to go with this subject, because this is really the issue. How then shall they call upon on him whom they have not believed? Oh, 
And how shall they, how is that Indian that lived a thousand years ago going to call on him if, if, that hasn't believed? How shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their their sound went out to all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me, but to Israel. Now when he says Israel here, he's talking about Israel. He saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient and gangsaying people. So he's talking there about how the Gentiles have received the word of God so quickly. Their hearts were ready. And in spite of the fact that God had done everything he could to get the gospel to his people, he came to his own and his own received him not. Now, later on, by the way, when you get into Romans 11, the Bible's very careful. Hey, you Gentiles out there that have gotten saved, now you're in Christ. Don't be so quick to, to get, you know, to, don't think you're, don't get so high-minded, you know, because uh, you're not even the natural branch. So, you know. Keep yourself humble. You're, you're lucky to be saved. But we are saved, and we're not only saved, we get the best inheritance ever. I mean, it's amazing what God has given all that call upon his name. Okay, this gets me back around to verse 14. <clears throat> there is a time clock to get the gospel of grace where it needs to go on time. So, when? We're thinking about the lost tribesmen in Africa somewhere or the Amazon uh, or in the remote island out here in Sri Lanka, the, the indigenous tribe that's never received the gospel. Well, we don't want to mess up their ecosystem. We don't want to mess up their ancient customs. No, we do. We want to come. And this is this is very very what I'm about to say. You know, I already know. Like if Prime Minister Modi, you know, ready to flip his lid. But the reality is we are to take the gospel everywhere. Jesus says, go ye, therefore, teach all nations. It, there is a responsibility on our part, especially today. Why isn't the gospel everywhere? I mean, really? We can go about anywhere. We got Pastor Rajan. I want to be careful how much I say right now, but. We, we, we interact with people right now that are literally taking the Bible and this message to the ends of the earth. And sometimes we physically join in, and sometimes we just send our finances. But like, like this, this is still happening. People in, literally don't even have clothes on. They're running around the jungles naked. And we have people showing up, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and revolutionizing their life, and they're getting saved. I'm not, they're not Hindus. I mean, they're animists. They're worshiping their ancestors. They don't even know about Hinduism. I mean, they're just, they're just, they are exactly what this question is. What about those people that have never heard the gospel? We should go tell them. We should go tell them. Is God merciful and gracious? Certainly he is. 
Now, I want to I want to just pause there because there is a responsibility on our part if we know the gospel to go share it. I mean, Paul Paul jumps I mean, immediately from salvation to and by the way, we need to take this everywhere to all nations. I mean, he didn't say it that succinctly, but in essence, that's what he's saying in Romans chapter ten. He goes from okay, now you get saved, now you need to go preach it. I mean, we don't move that fast to Heartland. Well, hopefully we do. You get saved, now go preach, right? Go go share. Salvation to sharing, just like that. And because people need, is there a lot of difference between the, the guy that's out here in, in the jungle that's never heard or the guy in the in the office, corner office that's never heard? How many of you have never, were lived a long time and never heard the gospel? Okay, Kelly, Amy, you didn't raise your hand. Had you heard the gospel until you were in your teens? Nope. Shannon, Ron, Ron, you were in college before you heard the gospel, right? Steve, how old were you? 42. Yeah, we live in a culture that's saturated in in this, you know, oh, well, America's reached, really? All these all of our friends come over from the the Bhutanese refugees come and they land here. Oh, we're in America. It's a Christian country. And they look at the Christians look around and go, it isn't very Christian, uh, precisely. Yeah, because you're only a Christian when you receive the gospel. You can, you know, being in a garage doesn't make you a car. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and so being in the church doesn't make you a Christian. There's got to be a transformation that comes through the gospel. And so, really, the urgency to get the gospel where it needs to go, whether it's around the world or to your neighbor, is just as pressing now as it's been in any other time in history. And yes, if they don't receive it, where do they go? Hell, and where's the burden at? It's not on Jesus. So, if you rewind the Heartland Baptist Fellowship tape a few weeks, a missionary, whether you knew it or not, a missionary came through here named Derek Thomas, and he spanked us so hard with a smile and a grace. And I don't know if you caught it, but man, he let us know. That we're miserable failures. Because there's people all over the place that don't have Jesus. And that's the primary thing God's left us on the planet to do. So what about that person that has never heard the gospel? And, and well, what are we, well, let's get it. Well, I don't know. What, where's your phone app? Let's get American Airlines. Or, you know, let's get a plane and let's go tell them. What's holding us up? As we sit around like they did with William Carey. You know, three, four hundred years ago, going, well, if God wants to save them, he'll send somebody. <laughs> well, how about you? How about me? Let's go. Yes, God wants to save them, and he wants to send somebody. Guess who he wants to send to save them? You and me. And so, that's what HBF's all about. I'm glad we had this discussion. <laughs> so, it's not just like, oh, like some esoteric concept that, you know... If we just kind of do what we're supposed to do, the gospel will kind of migrate out about around the world. I don't know. I look in the in the New Testament, and these people were pretty intentional. I mean, God even gave parameters. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul's like, man, I want to go to places that have never been plowed. I mean, this this is an urgent thing. Making disciples that make disciples is 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 the thing. The thing that we're supposed to be doing to to alleviate this burden that we have that people could be left out of the gospel. This is a big deal. So it's it's 
we can sit around and wonder, well, what if? Or we can do something about it. What if, what if this? What if we all got motivated and made this our primary thing, no matter what our vocation, no matter what our station, and we said, you know what? My whole life is dedicated to this, getting the gospel where it needs to go on time because time will run out and this dispensation will end and we will be judged and caught up. And we get caught up in the air. If not every tongue, tribe, and nation has been reached, we are big failures. Now, I understand Heartland Baptist Fellowship can't reach every nation. I understand every individual can't reach everybody. But, man, we should struggle over that. When I first got saved, I was so foolish. Literally, I put a map on my wall, and I had the Billy Graham concept of eternal life. You know, and I think the older I get, I need to get back to it. So, and I had little dots on the map. You know, they didn't go very far. You know, I've been to Monmouth. I've been to Kansas City. Been to Independence. And I preached the gospel. And I was like checkmarking all the places I'd preached the gospel. Because all I knew to do was take it literal. And that's, by the way, all the Bible I knew was that, the Romans Road. And so I was just like, I'm going to go preach everywhere I can. Now, I didn't tell everybody, like, I needed to go preach around the world because that seems foolish and audacious and crazy. I was smart enough to know that. But I will tell you, I was burdened about it in my heart. Now, it took about, I was probably midway through. I was offended one time. I'm going to tell you this story. I was offended one time. I walked into, I don't know if you get, there's a, our sending church, the senior pastor's name was Jeff Adams. Some of you guys might know who he is. And I roll up into his office one day to have a meeting about City Union Mission Ministry. And um, uh, Bruce Shalapi had handed it over to me as the leader. And I'm 24 years old. And uh, I'm in our Bible Institute, HBI. It's called Shepherd School back then. And, uh, you know, I have one purpose for being down there. First of all, I never wanted to go there, by the way. But God literally pushed me into that ministry. And once I got there and got acclimated... Um, man, I was like, this is a real battle. Like, we got to get down here. We got to preach the gospel. These people, like, are dying, not like figuratively. I mean, like, like if they don't get saved, they're going to die. Some of these people are dead. Like, you're preaching one week, the next week they're dead. You know, whatever. Or they're in prison, or they're dead. What happened to so-and-so? Well, he's dead. I mean, this is real. Like, the gospel's urgent. It's exactly what I needed. A real battle to fight. Okay. And, but all I was focused on was that i i i i i need to preach the gospel i need to get okay so eventually um bruce hands this ministry over to me it really built my ego too because he told me he says you wasn't the guy i was going to pick but you're the faithful one <laughs> thanks bruce <laughs> feel good about that glad i wasn't the guy you wanted to pick but okay so uh so we i, I get the ministry and we have all these friends of mine going down and and, uh, and peers and, and and shepherd well Pat Lee you were one of them and so Pat and I and several other people we're all going down you remember the, I'm not telling stories am I Pat so somewhere along the way I roll on into I roll on into to Jeff's office and I'm I'm the ministry head now so I'm like I'm wanting counsel and I'm wanting not just for the ministry but for my life and you know I'm starting this institute and when I started the institute I now not everybody that goes to the Bible Institute has to be like called and I knew I knew I was like when I delayed getting in the institute because I I fully expected to like sell my house and go. I mean, I was like so the day I entered the institute, I'm like, okay, that's it. 
you know, selling everything. I'm going. So I was very committed. Me and Doug Pearson were both kind of the same mindset like that. Not everybody's like that, so you don't have to be that way. Um, but but I, for me, it was like that serious. So I'm sitting down and talking to Jeff, and he's talking about, and he's evaluating me kind of like, okay, and oh, you're heading over to the city of Michigan. Oh, that's a great place to preach. I got, I used to go down there, and it's a great place to, you know, to practice your preaching. And, oh, man, I'm offended. I'm like, I didn't tell him this. But if you're watching Jeff, you know, you know me. So if you watch, I'm like thinking in my heart, these people are going to die and go to hell if we don't get the gospel to these people. I mean, this is a real battle. We got to get down here and get the gospel. This isn't practicing preaching, and this is the real deal. You know, that's what I'm thinking, and it is, by the way. That's not what he meant because he's smarter than I was and much wiser than I was. What he was trying to say to me is that God's taking you somewhere, son, and this is part of your preparation. And I still wasn't smart enough. I've been through D1, discipleship (laughs) 2. I'm a slow learner. I'm over a ministry, which eventually we were down there 22 to 24 times a month preaching the gospel with with a team of young men and old men. And I mean, it was powerful for a season. And, and, I mean, it's having impact. It's like really making a difference in some lives and stuff, and, and it's, it's amazing. But it takes me about two more years to process through everything that Pastor Adams was telling me and, and for me to really learn, you know what? You can't, you can't preach everybody into heaven, and there's no way you can meet the needs of this city the way you want to. I mean, I'm working. I'm leaving Amy. I'm working on... One night I'm at Kansas City Rescue Mission for like two years patting people down. They're not going to let me move. They didn't like our church. They weren't going to let me move out of, the, out of the day room. So I worked that day room till I'd be down there today patting people down, waiting to get my opportunity to preach. They weren't going to let me preach there. City of Mission, on the other hand, they let me preach as much as I wanted to. I mean, we had all kinds of preaching happening. And so I'm going through this process, and, and I realize the only way to effectively reach everybody is to make disciples. <laughs> Which, by the way, is what the Great Commission is. It doesn't say, go ye therefore and preach the gospel to everybody. It says, go, for, go ye therefore right, and teach, make disciples of all nations. You need to invest in faithful men who are able to teach others also. That's how you're going to go from addition to multiplication. And then what Jeff Adams really was telling me was like, you're learning. And you know what the main thing I learned is to invest in the people that were coming with me to the City Union Mission. By the way, one of those, you know who one of those people was that, that came with me? It was a guy named Harold Hatman. Looking for a place to minister. Kind of felt dis- disenfranchised because of some, some uh, drama going on in the church and so on and so forth. And he's like, hey, and I met him. I said, I'll meet you for lunch. I come to lunch, I got a little handout, a piece of paper, I shove it in his place, and I said, okay, this is what we're doing. And he was like, whoa, you're ready. And I'm like, I am ready, but this is a real battle. We need to get after it, right? <laughs> so so he's all in. I mean, so we're we're going. And uh, and there's a lot of guys. We were, we were going, weren't we, Pat? We were going. And so Pat ended up going over to Grace, and, and our church was sending churches out. And So what I learned was that the, 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 if we want to reach that guy out here in the jungle, you, you need to make disciples. I can only preach so many times a month, but twenty, but twelve guys can preach twenty-four times a month. You know, and some ladies. And you multiply that times two, we can preach even more. 
We can teach even more. We can go deeper. And we can get them out of that environment. We can get them in the local church, which is really where they're going to grow. So there's a reason by the end of that four-year process, why, why didn't I go to Dan Doty and say, hey, Dan, you know what? God's called me to be down here at City Union Mission. I mean, I was, I, that was, I was like a, before it was over, I was the most uncomfortable human you'd ever seen in that environment the first day. Chris Devaney brought me down there. I was like, holy moly. I'd had a bad experience in that neighborhood before, run, literally running for my life with Amy. It's not a makeup story either. She was with me. You can ask her about it. I did not really want to go back down in that neighborhood because my memory was tra- – I had PTSD. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was, I was traumatized. And so to bring me back down there, I went into shock, as a matter of fact, the first day I was down there. I don't even hardly remember the first service. I was just sitting there going, what am I doing in this environment? This is crazy. Before it was over, I'm hanging out in the streets. I'm hanging out in – I mean, I'm just like – it's just my second home. I literally walk through Kansas City, and I'm like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. Oh, that guy. Hey, Jack, what's going on? He's under the bridge. You, know? so you just start. There's a whole culture in Kansas City, and, and you just get to know it. You know, it's just your friends. And, and just consistency over time is good. But what you really learn is that you're never going to accomplish the mission without the local church and making disciples. So at the end of my, my run there, and I, I, I preached there. My last sermon was actually the, the month before we started Heartland, and they handed it over to Steve Buck. But I preached there on June. We started our first service January 2nd, 2002. So I was there on December of 2001, and then I came to Heartland. And so the, the, the reason I didn't, though, I knew probably after about, about four years after that meeting with Jeff Adams, I finally understood what he was saying. It's like there's a work that needs to be done in your life. God's going to use us to do it. But God's ordained institution is the local church. And the gospel getting to the world is going to happen through the local New Testament church, making disciples. And so we hopefully have an environment in this local church and in our fellowship of churches that is so serious about getting the gospel where it needs to go that we'll buckle down on making discipleship. There's a reason that we have an HBI. I mean, that's, what's a church our size doing with an institute that's four years, like a college or we're working our tails off to try to get people ready to really take the gospel where it needs to go. Because there's some preparation. If you're going to go to war, you better count the cost, and you better have all the ammo you can get. And then when you get there, you've got to throw it out the window and figure it out again because it's, it's tough. So, um, so when it comes to this preaching the gospel business, you, you're not going to get it done by yourself. I mean, Billy Graham was an, a great evangelist, but at the end of the day, he needed a team. And ultimately, he didn't disciple anybody that didn't end up in a local church. You can't make disciples outside of a local church context. Disciples end up making local churches because that is what God has ordained. The ordinances were not given to a parachurch ministry. They were given to the local New Testament church to steward. So as simple as baptism and the Lord's Supper may seem, they are deeply profound. And they really are to be stewarded. And so... Um, so getting back to conscience. So these that are out here is certainly now let's let me I want to flip the script a little on this discussion. I got 22 minutes to do it. So I'm going to circle back around because I've talked a lot about our perspective from a Christian perspective and our and our migration and our we need to have a zeal according to knowledge and we need to get the gospel out. But we also need to do it with with great wisdom. But if you don't have wisdom, just keep doing it with as much zeal as you can. <laughs> OK, just keep going until God gives you some. As uh, he will eventually get through your thick skull. 
and teach you how important discipleship is, all right? But if you're mad at me for saying that, like I used to be, because, I mean, the battle was so ready and you had to get on the ground, you had to get after it. I mean, who has time to go and spend discipling people? we got to get out here and preach the gospel, you know. That was kind of my mindset. I used to have this practice preaching in our church called Sons of Thunder, and I'd be like, uh, you know, practice preaching come with me i'll go down here we'll preach for real we don't need to practice in a room you know and so it's just it's just because i didn't understand what i was doing yet and so second corinthians chapter four look at this passage with me let's bring a little little uh, reality to this subject second corinthians chapter four and verse four so we want to say, well, you know, well, I'm not saying we do, but people want to say, well, Amy, I'm sorry I didn't use this. I had you bring it in. I haven't even wrote on it. So that's why you're a good wife. <laughs> so she puts up with me. But um, so Second Corinthians 4 and verse 4, we like to say, well, you know, God, you know, it's his job to save those people out in Africa. If, above and beyond the fact that he came to this earth, was manifest in the flesh, died on the cross, rose again the third day, and has also sent his Holy Spirit to his church so that we can execute the command that he told us to execute. And then we want to blame God for not saving those people. What if we get to the judgment seat of Christ and God says, well, I did want to save those people. Why didn't you go? But the other side of that coin is then we talk about our responsibility. Like, okay, we need to go, we need to go, and we do need to go. But I want you to see the other side of this coin. And that's verse 4 of Second Corinthians 4. It says this. Well, let's back up. Verse 3. For if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. And if you're in here, you've been lost probably. Everyone's been lost at some point. Or you're not saved. You've got to be lost before you can be found. In whom the God of this world. Did you know the God of this world at one time blinded your mind? So what it says, in whom the God of this world, small g, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, notice this, who is the image of God? You haven't seen that since the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, by the way, or Genesis chapter uh, 2, the image of God, um, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Okay, and notice he says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And he goes on to talk about how difficult his circumstances are, yet the gospel goes forth. You can read that on your own. The point that I'm wanting to bring up is is that this issue of why people don't know Christ is also part of a bigger issue that that predates Adam. And that's the fall of Lucifer. He is actually actively working against God's wishes and God's, God's purposes. And you and I are here in Christ's stead to do what? reconcile people to God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, right? That's why we're here. We're here to, he wants us to reconcile. We are ministers of reconciliation. I mean, that's very clear in the word of God. If you go over to chapter 5, he says, therefore, verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Hallelujah, man. I'm a new creature. But wait. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has. Yeah. It's not just about you get a new do, man. You got to take that out. I got to take it out. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then he goes on to talk about how we work together to do this, because we have to do this together. It's not just a one-man show. He has saved not just the pastor, not just the team, not just the ministry heads. He's Everybody in the church is a minister. If you're born again, you are a minister of reconciliation, and you're at some level of proficiency. I don't know what that is, but we exist to try to get you to the highest level of proficiency to share and reconcile people with God and to work within the construct of the local New Testament church to do that. Because this is God's ordained institution. That's why I'm not heading a parachurch organization somewhere. But I said, you know what, Lord, I want to be part of a local church. And I want to be part of not only reproducing Jesus Christ in people, but reproducing local churches in our culture. Because that is what's going to be a force multiplier to actually get the light of the gospel where it needs to go on time. you got to see the big picture. And you got to be about the micro. It's micro and macro. So he's actively working. Satan hates that. He hates the church. He hates you. You are an ambassador. You're like Ambassador Stevens in Libya. You're there to represent God, and the adversary wants to shut you down. Now, I don't know what that was all about geopolitically, I'm sure, but the guy, Ambassador Stevens, was a good guy. And uh, he wasn't supposed to get whacked, but guess what? He got whacked. Why? Because there were forces out to kill him. The devil hates what we're about. There is forces keeping that guy in the jungle that doesn't know up from down from hearing the gospel. And that's why we need to pray. That's why we need to pay. And that's why we also need to go when we can. Because we got to get the gospel. We're going to go here in, a, in next month. We're going up to Boston, Boston, Massachusetts. The world is in Boston. The most, uh, the most influential people colleges banking system in the world and you know what they are lost like they're having a satan isn't it a satan fest or a pagan fest satan cons coming to boston right before we show up hallelujah so <laughs> what are we stepping into we're stepping into a real battle i like a real battle but um man i tell you guys there's a reason that people in the jungle don't know jesus because we haven't gone and one of the reasons we don't go is because we don't win the battle here to get to there and so we wake up in the morning and we don't identify with jesus as we ought the sons of god as ambassadors for christ and we just kind of go about our business kind of the odyssey it away and then we have these cerebral discussions about god's character and i tell you what at the judgment seat of christ it's not going to it's not going to play well you just rewind the tape to William Carey going to India, started the modern missions movement. It was these very type of discussions. Well, if God wants to save the heathen, he'll send someone to do it. God will reach him. 
and his sovereignty and his providence and his glory and his majesty and his goodness and his greatness. And all the time, these dudes, don't you remember you were a heathen dude? Just because you're wearing a suit with coattails doesn't mean anything. You are a heathen. Literally, in the biblical context, you are a Gentile out here in some little island. It wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the mercy of God. <laughs> you know, And you're sitting here saying, God will send somebody to the heathen, but you're not willing to go. William Carey's like, enough of this. He's a shoe cobbler. He goes over to India. It changes the world. I mean, we're still reaping the benefits of that. Judson's the same way. Okay, so let me let me finish off with this. Go to go to Romans chapter. Well, let me keep a, go back to Romans twelve, and then go back to keep a finger in Romans twelve. And I want to and I want to kind of end with this. And I want to remind you what we saw in Romans one. So Romans twelve, and Romans one. <clears throat> Romans one earlier when we were in that passage, the discussion here was the wrath. For the wrath of God, in verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Man, uh, that's that's a scary proposition. Now, if you back up to verse 17, or verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, and also the Greek. And the Jew does get priority, and then he settles that in Romans 11, so we understand how that goes, and we understand all that. Okay, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. The Bible says we're ministers of reconciliation. We have the word of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We just read it. And we're in a battle for light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We are also the light. Philippians chapter 2. The gospel is the light that we share, the good news. And we've got the whole counsel of God. But he says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now I want you to see this. The just shall live by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Romans chapter 12, um, in verse 1, I'll, you know verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as ye have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so being a many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now, I want to just park on verse 3 for a second here. It says there's a measure of faith. That word is it's a degree of faith. Now, this is talking in context to the church, so I just want to be clear about that. He is dealing with Christians. And he's saying God will reward you according to your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Okay, just in the Christian context, right? So it starts, what's the first thing a Christian, to be a Christian, what's the first thing you've got to understand? Huh? You're a sinner? And? Huh? Yeah, you're all saying it once, yeah. He's your Savior. So let's just boil it down to a word. The gospel. 
right? That's the first thing you, you're, you're going nowhere without that. That no, you, it didn't matter what you know about the end times if you don't know the gospel. That's how I got saved. I started studying the end times and it pushed me right back to the gospel. Like end times, this is the end times for you, son. You're not my son, number one. Number two, you're going to die and want to hide in the rocks if you keep this up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess I better go back to, how do I become a son? I'm ready to hear that now, <laughs> right? So with me, I needed to see God's wrath before I received his goodness. Now, not everybody's like that, but that's the way I was because I, I was self-righteous, just like a Pharisee. I thought my righteousness was good enough. Okay, so there's a measure of faith. What happens when you reject the gospel? heart gets harder you may or may not hear it again you may hear it but not receive it i mean god's not obligated but he's often still gives you more opportunity All right if you receive the gospel what happens well you inherit the holy ghost i mean bam you get the holy ghost dwelling in you there's a response to of faith i mean you get it all in one enchilada bam you're saved now you don't figure that out i mean it takes you the rest of your life to actually figure out what happened the moment you trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. I mean, I'm still working out. It'll be eternity before I actually grasp what happened on March 25th, 1987. I can tell you some of the things. I was stretched, right? Anti-church, pro-church. Pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel, pro-Israel, God's chosen people. I'm still pro-Israel or Palestine because I need to get the gospel. But other than that, right, I get it. Jew first. <laughs> I got it. Got the memo. Pro-abortion? Pro-death? Uh-oh. Pro-life? What happened? Measures of faith. No baptism? Oh, I'll submit the believer's baptism. Don't like Christians? Can't stay out of church. I'm a nut. <laughs> <laughs> don't know how to sing hymns don't ever never sing a hymn i don't care what my voice sounds like let's sing away right what happened is you get measures of faith faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus right you are conformed to his image you become more and more like the light one time i had a, a amy and i amy was with me and this dark person that I won't talk about, I'm talking spiritually dark person, walks up and, in a really weird way and says, you carry a lot of light. And we were both kind of creeped out, like, whoa. I'm like, you know what? By God's grace, that's true. Carry a lot of light. I'd never heard it put like that. But you know what? We should carry a lot of light. Let his yoke be easy and the burden be light. Right? We're light-bearing beings. Now, it's not a physical light like the lumens you get off of these lights, which, by the way, we're at 70%. We should kick that up to 100. Um, <clears throat> and so, but we're, we're spiritual. We should be bearing spiritual light. With the light that you receive, you get more light. So if you want to, if you're an HBI right now and you're listening to me go through dispensations and you're like, man, I don't quite get all this. Do you think you could ask God, and say, God, you know, I'm struggling with this. Could you give me some more light on this subject? What do you think he's going to do? He's going to give you more light. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask. You don't even have to be saved. Any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which give to all men liberally and abraded not. So even that guy out in the jungle, 
who's never even known Jesus. If he's like, man, like I was when I was a teenager and I'm laying in the backyard. I do believe God honors these things. I'm laying in the backyard with my buddy and we're looking at the stars, you know. We're sleeping outside with the mosquitoes. I don't know what we were thinking. Didn't even have a tent. We're on his back porch. And we're out there and we're ta- and I'm looking at the stars and he's looking at the stars. He's over in this cot and I'm over in this cot thing. And I'm like, man, I just, I just can't believe this all just evolved. And he's like, oh, yeah, man, it's evolution. You know, we're just going back and forth. Neither one of us are saved. Neither one of us is going to church. Farthest thing from my mind. What was that? That was Romans chapter 1, dealing with my conscience. Is there a God? Just the math, just the logic, just the message in the sky says, that just can't happen. Just, I mean, it doesn't make sense. What is that? That's the creator saying, hey, if you believe that I exist, maybe I'll give you a little more light. I'll give you a little more light. Of course, the devil comes around and tries to put the light, right? And then there's that war going on for souls. Beloved, I believe in prepared sinners and prepared saints. Prepared sinners and prepared saints. I'm praying, as a matter of fact, when we go to... I, I pray that when we go like down here to Dominican this next week, that as, as kind of weak as the team is, <laughs> no offense team, but we're kind, of, we're kind of weak now. We're getting weaker every day. We're like 12 people, 6 people... Four people, maybe three people. I mean, so, but you know what? It isn't in numbers. God can use the weak things to confound the wise. If we reach the key people, the prepared sinners, and we're prepared saints, and we invest the word of God, and they receive the word of God, God will give them more light, and we invest more, and invest more. You know what? God could do a miracle. The next Billy Graham might get saved this week. Billy Graham for the DR. The next, uh, like a Bob Weston for the Jamaicans. I mean, you never know what God's going to do. And you know what? We've got to be prepared. And we got to go. Oh, my time's up. Thank you. So that's really all I had to say about that. Is, uh, is that, is, uh, there's, you know what? If that guy out in the jungle receives the witness that God has in creation and his conscience, you better believe God's going to start putting it on someone's heart. You know, I need to go to Wakanda. You know, or whatever. <laughs> That's make believe. But I need to go to I need to go to that place. I need to go to the far reaches. You know, I need to go to Belarus, Randy Foster. And then God says, No, you don't. You need to go to Zambia. Why? Because there's somebody in Zambia that Randy needed to minister to. And God, once you get in motion, because you're believing God for more faith, God'll give you somebody over here who's not even in the faith. And when you get connected, bam. There's life. And you know what? The darkness loses and the light wins. It's a battle, guys. It's a, it's a fluid battle. And so to sit around and, 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 and think that God is somehow unjust is the wrong way to go. When he has done everything in his power and given us every opportunity to receive what the word of God says and then do the main things that need to be done, which is make disciples, and then do that in a way that will actually tangibly impact the gospel right where you live, in the region you live, in the country you live, in the nations around where you live, and ultimately to the uttermost places on the planet simultaneously, all at one time. And beloved, we're in a church that's doing that. By God's grace, by the way. Not because it's in our power, but God's been gracious to us. That doesn't mean we're doing it the best we can, uh, but we're doing it 
and by God's grace. And I really appreciate what God's allowed us to be a part of. But it starts with understanding the light. We wouldn't know these things if it wasn't for the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the local New Testament church. I'm thankful for my teachers back at KCBT who were patient with me because I was a knucklehead. It took me, you know, I was, it took me. I, I knew D1, D2. I'm going through the Bible Institute, and I, it takes me, you know, in that process before I finally woke up and realized, whoa, this is the God's ordained institution. This is how we are force multipliers in this spiritual battle. And the burden. What if I don't go? It wasn't any more, I want to go. It was, what if I don't? That's when you know you're called. When you can't sleep at night because you know if you don't go, you're going to have blood on your hands because God has called you. So I pray if you're being called of God, you do whatever it takes to prepare yourself to be part of God's mission. Because I tell you what, we don't want to see that guy in Africa die and go to hell or that guy in India or that person up in the mountains in Nepal or that communist in China or that Islamic person you know, in the Middle East in the 1040 window. If there's any way we can get there or if we can influence people who can get there better than us, that's really what we got to be about doing. Amen? Let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank